The Athletic. Steikast, the German football pod brought to you by The Athletic. Today, Kevin Hatchard and Christoph Biermann are here to talk about yet another royal blue mess at Schalke. Leverkusen losing faith with Bosch ball, Bayern scoring four with 10 men, Erling Haaland's future at Dortmund, and breaking news, sexiest football man alive, Xabi Alonso, taking over at Borussia Mönchengladbach next season, if a report by Bild is to be believed. All of this and more in Steikast. Welcome, dear listener, to this week's Helping of Bundesliga Madness and welcome Kevin and Christoph. Before we start, though, a quick reminder that a subscription to The Athletic is currently available for just £3.99 a month for six months. Go to theathletic.com slash starcastpod to sign up. Okay, Christoph, Kevin, uh, good morning. Thanks for joining. Uh, Christoph, especially you, because... You had to overcome all sorts of obstacles to make the pod today. <laughs> <laughs> But my teeth are okay again. So um, I'm, I'm not uh, in any way uh, blocked. Great. Because you know that you have so many subjects here on this podcast that you need to get your teeth into. It would have been very <laughs> difficult if you'd had any dentist issues. Um, Christoph did say he might miss today's pod recording because of a visit to the dentist, but it's all been resolved. We're happy to tell you. Um, And very happy news, I guess, for Borussia Mönchengladbach fans. Breaking news, according to a story in Bild, Xabi Alonso is going to be taking over for Marco Rose, which would suggest that, first of all, Max Eber knows how to pick the most handsome coaches <laughs> in, in world football. Um, Gladbach fans would be very, very excited. Should they be excited, Christoph? Honestly, yes, it sounds fantastic. As we know that uh, Xabi Alonso is one of the great football brains or was one of the great football brains on the pitch. We know um, that he is, uh, has been working in, in, the, in the youth football and now is, he is uh, coach of uh, Real Sociedad's second team in the uh, Segunda B in, in Spain. So he is not. So it's not not, not, not the story of I, I'm a, I'm a big player and now I I start uh, taking over a, a big club. So he has prepared himself to get into the job, and um, but but honestly, I don't know. Uh, I don't know nothing about his work uh, at uh, in Spain uh, as a coach and. Uh, But I think um, Max Eberl will have done a lot of background checks uh, to, to know uh, what he did there. I think potentially there's a lot to like about this because I think Christoph's absolutely right. This isn't an Andrea Pirlo situation where a big name has just been parachuted into a massive job straight away. He's done some youth coaching. He's done very well with Real Sociedad B and the Segunda B, their top of that division uh, at the moment, top of their region. So uh, I think that's impressive. Obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean those results will translate into what he will do at Gladbach, but at least he has some of that experience. We know 
that he was a terrific player. He knows the language. He knows German well. That was uh, reportedly important for Max Abel uh, in this coach search. He wanted somebody who spoke good German, and that is the case. He knows the league, having played there with Bayern. Uh, he knows the country. Uh, and so I think all of that would give him a really good head start. He'll have contacts in the game as well. Obviously, Max Airbell's one of the best in the business when it comes to sporting directors, but Chabi Alonso would have contacts uh, that would complement that. And I just think it's a clever move in the sense that all of the negativity that's built up over the last few weeks with the poor form, with the Marco Rosa situation going to Dortmund at the end of the season, I think in one fell swoop that all disappears and that negativity is replaced by excitement and it's replaced by hope. And one of the perhaps important things it could do is it could help them with player retention as well. I think we know that Gladbach are going to lose probably one or two players financially. Maybe they have to uh, when they look at the kind of financial realities post-pandemic. So I think it's, if it is confirmed, a very positive move for all parties, probably. Do we have any way of knowing whether he'll be good at his job, though? But I think any any move is a risk. I mean, you look at the guys they were linked with, Adi Hutter, I know, is proven in terms of what he's done at Eintracht Frankfurt. He's done a great job. Oliver Glasner's done really well at Wolfsburg. But there's no guarantee that they would step across and do an equally good job at Gladbach. So I think every coaching hire is a risk. I understand why this would be more risky than other moves. But equally, it's exciting. And some of these moves work out and some of them don't. So... I can understand if this is indeed the direction Max Abel is taking, I can understand why he has. And I trust him. Um, uh, what I said that uh, Gladbach um, uh, has been doing a lot of background checks uh, there if if they take this de- uh, decision. So um, Gladbach is not the kind of club that just signs a big name because it's a big name or because it's creating some some fantasy. Uh, I think they they will know, or I trust them to know, or I trust Max Abel to know. Uh, what kind of coach they um, they will have signed, if that's true. Yeah, meantime, the incumbent uh, had one of his better weeks in 2021, a 3-0 win against Schalke. Only 3-0 uh, against Schalke. Maybe that's uh, <laughs> something that... Um, scraped it. They scraped <laughs> it. would be seen as a disappointment now. I mean, Schalke, if you're in trouble as a club, um, Schalke is probably... Well, not probably, is definitely the best team in the Bundesliga to play at the moment. Three points all but guaranteed to stop the slump for Gladbach and get into the international break with a bit more positivity, having, of course, been knocked out by Manchester City in midweek, which wasn't a surprise at all. But it's Schalke we really have to talk about. On the pitch, things are taking the kind of course that we, we have come to expect. They are going down. They might be going down as the worst team ever uh, in the top flight, points-wise. And they might be going down as a club perhaps worst affected by lots of stuff that's happening off the pitch as well as on it. Mm, A civil war has broken out between an opposition group who um, want to take over the club or want to take over some of the spots on the supervisory board and the supervisory board itself. And of course, the pawn in this game 
if you will, or um, the the manager that's been weaponized by various factions in this conflict is Ralf Rangnick, who initially had talked to the opposition group, had said that he might be in principle willing to take over as sporting director, then through his agent had talks with the existing board on Thursday, and then on Saturday lunchtime decided this is all too crazy for me. I'm out. Christoph, where do Schalke go from here? It sounds every sort of few days when you think when you think things can't get any worse that they somehow do for this club. <laughs> yeah, as we said last week, Schalke doing Schalke things, and um, and uh, yeah, it it's a perfect example for 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 this shooting yourself in in the foot or so. It's um, because. But I so so I, I'm not really sure if um, the reaction of Rangnick is only um, because of the turmoil at Schalke with these uh, various fractions and the so-called civil war. Maybe it's just because, or, or mainly because of the numbers. I think Ralf Rangnick knows a, a lot about building a club. And he knows a lot about that you need money to do that. And I think he, he was, uh, when Mark Kosicke was having the, the meeting with the head his of agent. The, his agent, yes, uh, was having the meeting with the advisory board or with the head of the advisory board. I think they were also talking numbers. And next season, very likely Schalke will have a, yes, a, top budget for the second division but not the top 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 budget that almost secures uh, the return uh, to the Bundesliga and they are heavy in debt and so uh, maybe he was also thinking uh, that he won't get the financial means he would need to re rebuild the, uh, the club But uh, um, he, he hadn't commented uh, on it so far, uh, apart from this kind of open letter saying that he was e emotionally touched by, uh, by, by, by the offer. But uh, right now he, he couldn't do it because of the situation. So it was a bit vague. And, uh, but I think the, the numbers might have played a role. The other thing this has done, of course, is it's taken their other main target, Marcus Kroescher, who was the initial target of the actual supervisory board. It's taken him out of the running because he stepped back and said he wasn't available. He'll stay at RB Leipzig. And so the reports suggest they're now down to Ruven Schroeder, who was at Mainz. I think his record was patchy at Mainz. I think there were some good signings uh, from French football who they have developed. And in terms of developing talent and selling it on, maybe that is his strong suit. But in terms of coach recruitment, I think he had a very patchy record. So I wouldn't be massively excited about him. And there's a possibility that Pesa Knebel, who stepped up to, to do that role in the interim, could stay. And I don't think that will fill people with massive amounts of confidence either. Uh, so they are in a real mess. And in terms, just quickly, I know the main picture is, is off the pitch, but on the pitch, you guys have obviously covered this league a lot longer than I have, but I've covered this league for a while. <laughs> I have not seen a team, 
and I even include Greuther Furt in this, I have not seen a team play so poorly for so long at this level. And the confidence has seeped out of them to such an extent that they just look terrified in every game. And all three of the goals against Gladbach this weekend were horrendous. I mean, including the third goal where the goalkeeper, Frederick Renault, actually catches the ball and then effectively throws it in. So um, you wonder where they go in terms of the coaching situation because Dimitrios Gramotzis has come in. He's had three games, no goals. What does he now do? How does he prime them for the second tier? Because at the moment, you wonder what the strategy is going to be on the pitch as well as off uh, I, I think it's a very good point. My impression was, especially on, on Saturday in the match against Mönchengladbach, I, I, I was thinking, as I, you know, uh, watch a lot of second division football in, in Germany, where would this team be uh, as it is right now in the second division uh, in Germany? And I think they would be in the lower third of, of the table so the the quality. I mean, there are some players missing right now, and and, and so on. But but if they would play as they are now, they would be number thirteen or fourteen in the in the second division. Maybe yeah, struggling against relegation. Uh, and and I think it's not uh, no dramatization of the situation. I think it, it the quality of the of the team right now isn't actually better. I think it's about habits as well because. If you're losing games, if you're making mistakes in every single game, if there's no leadership on the pitch, it's not like you drop into the second tier and then you click your fingers and go, "Okay, we're going to start winning games now. All of that rot that is set in is still there. So unless you've got somebody like a Rangnick who has a really clear idea of how you shift all that away and bring players in, I don't know how you fix it. And Rafa, you've made the point that a lot of the players still have contracts that are valid for the second tier. Often what you see is that the club drops into the second tier and a lot of players, their contract is either null and void for that second tier or the the wages drop. I imagine because Schalke never in a million years thought they'd be in this position, they just haven't prepared to be in this position. So it would be quite hard to get a lot of these underperforming players out of the club in the first place. Yeah, I think that's one of the issues. And um, I think, Christoph, you're right. I think the numbers were something that that would have frightened Ralf Rangnick. Um, as Kevin mentioned, I think the, the overwhelming majority of the players, I understand, have valid contracts for the second Bundesliga, which means that you probably have to pay money to get rid of them rather than uh, keep them. Um, and of course, Schalke's financial issues are such that maybe who knows if they can even afford to pay the existing team for much longer if they are to go down. So I think it's quite grim, the whole situation. Um, I think, as I understand it, Ralf Rangnick was also frightened or, or put off by this idea that you don't really know who you're talking to because you might have a a deal with Schalke now, but then there's new elections in three months' time or whatever they are. And then you have a completely different structure of the supervisory board. Um, you also have this long-going saga about Schalke being outsourced or, or being legally restructured to be a corporation owned by the club rather than just a pure club. And nobody knows when and how that's going to happen. 
And I think there was a third reason as well, which was that everything that was talked about, both with the official Schalke and the opposition Schalke, immediately found its way into the <laughs> newspapers down to <laughs> sort of every last detail. And I think it's it doesn't it just doesn't suggest that this is a serious club that you can you can work with at the moment. And uh, I remember you, Christoph, saying back in I think it was September, October, that Schalke are the new hamburger as foul. It could be worse. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Right on that happy note. <laughs> <laughs> We'll move on. It is quite sad. It is quite sad to lose Schalke at least for a year to the Bundesliga too. It is quite sad. Uh, but on a happier note, I guess it was a good week for Hertha because they were bottom or second bottom from the ta- of the table before their game against Leverkusen kicked off. Um, they looked like a team that could be in real trouble and they actually went and, win- and won 3-0 against Leverkusen. Now, immediately when I say this, I sort of think I need to qualify it because it was only Leverkusen. <laughs> and Leverkusen have been playing so badly that they're sort of the Schalke of the top top third, in a way, on the pitch, not off it, I hasten to, I hasten to add. But this was the sort of win for Paul Dardai that maybe vindicates you, Christoph, and others who always have thought, yes, Hertha, they're pretty bad, but they're not quite bad enough. And Kevin. (laughs) Kevin, have you been saying that Hertha would be fine as well? Yes, every week. There's uh, there's a Hertha fan called Anna who asks me the same question every week. Are are you sure we're going to stay up? And I say, yes, Anna, you'll be fine. You'll be absolutely fine. So, uh, yeah, I've been banging that drum for a while. And you're right, Leverkusen was so obliging on the day. And... The first goal is a great hit from De Weizsäger in off the far post from the edge of the area, but nobody's moving for Leverkusen. Even players that when they first came into the league, like Edmund Tapsaba, who we thought, wow, this guy's amazing. He's had a real dip in form, which you can understand because he's a young player who doesn't have a huge amount of experience at this level. But collectively, something's off. Peter Boss just seems to be trapped in this endless kind of Groundhog Day spiral where he talks about missed chances, talks about them having the ball, talks about them making basic errors. Patrick Schick had a great chance at 1-0 down. It was almost like a clearance. He headed it so far wide of the target. And that just indicates his lack of confidence right now. And Hertha just went at them from the get-go and Leverkusen had no real response to it. And I just wonder, in terms of Peter Boss's position, if Simon Rolf is the sporting director and Rudy Furler above him, have kind of painted themselves into a corner a little bit because they've been so staunch in their backing of Peter Boss every single week that you kind of think they have to give him a bit more time now to kind of see that through. So that's their situation but in terms of Hertha you're absolutely right they got a really big win against Augsburg where they scored a late penalty and that really kind of built the belief a little bit and this has just reinforced that. I I fully agree um, uh, with Kevin and um, I think it's it's a bit the the best you could expect from from Hertha I mean they were 
not in all situation um, uh, rock solid in in defense. They um, Kevin mentioned some situations, uh, for example, the uh, Patrick Schick uh, goal chance, and and there were others as well. But altogether, they were pretty stable. And you could see how much quality they have up front. And it was very important for them that Matthias Kunja was back, uh, back in. He was, he was the inspiration uh, for the team. And, and uh, yes, it, I think it's, a, um, it's not only a good time to play um, Schalke at the moment, but also a good time to play, uh, uh, to play Leverkusen right now. I mean, we have this new term in German football. Um, I don't know actually when it came up. It's called Restverteidigung. I don't know if there is an equivalent in in in, in English. Uh, it, it so it means not not the defensive structure, but the uh, how how would you call that, Rafa? I would say it's sort of the the defensive remnants, the defense that gets left behind when you attack, the parts of the defense. Yeah, and and especially this kind of uh, Restverteidigung is is terrible right now uh, with with Leverkusen and uh, and uh, uh, Kevin already mentioned uh, Tapsoba who was who was brilliant at at the beginning and who he looked. Um, he looked very vulnerable as, as a, a defender, uh, looks very vulnerable as a defender right now. And also um, in defensive midfield, um, uh, Charles Arangis, a Chilean uh, player, he he looks, um, I don't know, unfit and slow and overworked. And uh, so um, Bayer Leverkusen has a, has a lot of issues right now, especially in the defensive part of, of their their game and that was obvious at uh, yesterday. Christoph's absolutely spot on about Arangis because in the games that I've done recently in their in their poor run that system requires him to be in top shape and also mentally because he asks so much of that defensive midfielder and they don't have Julian Baumgartlinger who's a kind of 7 out of 10 player every week he's out injured so that's putting all of the pressure on Arangis he doesn't look fit he doesn't look 100% I mean that's a guy normally tenacious he snarls he wins challenges he then gets the moving with accurate passing their passing against Hertha was all over the place really inaccurate and when that's not working, the, it has a corrosive effect on the rest of the team. So I don't want to pin it all on Arangis in the sense that he's letting the team down, but they're asking him to do something that I'm not sure mentally or physically right now he's capable of doing. What is the end game of this? I mean, we've seen repeatedly Leverkusen come out and say, no, Peter Bosch will stay. We totally trust him. We support him. And I guess, Christoph, in the grand scheme of things, they're not having a terrible season. They can finish fifth, they can finish sixth. Yes, fourth is going to be beyond them, but it was always going to be pretty tough, I think, because you have three places that are sort of, well, they should be taken by Bayern, Dortmund and, and Leipzig, and maybe Dortmund themselves will lose out. But for Leverkusen to come in, they're, they're effectively fighting for that fourth spot. Uh, certainly in terms of the quality of the team, if not the position. Will this season be seen as, okay, fine, you know, it was difficult, we'll, we'll go again, you know, we it's year one after after Folland and, and Harvard, or do you think those more fundamental doubts about Peter Bosch will now come to the surface and will lead them to reconsider? 
over the summer perhaps. Um, if we if we compare the situation of Leverkusen with the one of Borussia Mönchengladbach that we have been talking in, in recent yeah. week, my point always was uh, about Mönchengladbach. Yes, they um, they are not playing as good as they can, but they are also a bit unlucky. They're playing the big teams and uh, lo losing points where they not necessarily uh, needed to, to lose them. But I think the situation is diff different at uh, Leverkusen right now because um, the, the match against Hertha was a bad performance, full stop. And the match against at home uh, against Bielefeld that they lost was a bad performance against a team of the um, lower ranks of the table. And and I think in the end, if, if you don't, uh, I, if you're not able to, to stop this trend, uh, you have to talk about the manager. Uh, yes, they have injury issues and and Baumgartlinger missing and and the the Benders uh, Sven um, uh, made an appearance yesterday after several weeks uh, being out, but but uh, they are also missing. But I think that's not 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 the the the, the point alone. Uh, they somehow lost it, and that they somehow lost it. I think you have to. Uh, talk about it with your coach and uh, maybe um, I would have doubts about uh, him. Rudi Völler and Simon Rolfes, uh, they are in contact with the team every week and I uh, I think they know if the, the work has declined or if the atmosphere is, is not good as good as it was. Um, and we will see what, what 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 they make out of it in in the in days and weeks to come. And let's not forget, it's not just about the league. They went out of the DFB Cup to a fourth tier side in Rotweiss yeah. Essen. They got beaten home and away by Young Boys in the Europa League, and Young Boys then got smacked by Ajax over two legs. So it's not if you were just looking at the league in isolation. I think you'd be right, Rafa, in terms of, okay, well, this is maybe understandable. But I think some of those performances in the cup competitions have been so wretched, that's got to count against him as well, I think. Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see because in the past, of course, or the most recent past, Dortmund decided that, yes, he's a lovely guy. Yes, we like him, but it's just not right for us. And maybe Leverkusen will come to the same conclusion, um, which would be a shame in a way because I think he is... He's a very interesting manager, certainly a very engaging uh, person. I found when I spoke to him for, for an athletic interview earlier this year. But Leverkusen looked very disorganized and, and, and almost yeah, demoralized somehow at the moment, like a team that doesn't know what it's supposed to do or if it does, doesn't know how it's supposed to do what it is supposed to do, um, which you know, is not a condition you want to be in for too long. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. It feels like we're talking a lot about, you know, teams playing badly and underperforming. Um, and I'm afraid 
the same has to be said about Borussia Dortmund. <laughs> it's our um, Grown talk topic. <laughs> it's our favorite topic. They had one of those games which have really marred their season uh, throughout. Uh, 2-2 at uh, Köln. They got a late equalizer, but it felt like two points dropped. It was huge setback in their fight for fourth space because Frankfurt had a great win themselves, and at least that's a team we can we can praise for playing well. Five two against Union to hold on to that fourth spot uh, with a bit of a cushion, but Dortmund just being sloppy, Dortmund making stupid mistakes at the back, Dortmund not really showing up, or at least not enough players showing up, and then quite worrying. I thought a very, very public show of disapproval from Erling Haaland, who stormed off, gave his shirt, well, threw his shirt at a at an opponent and was mumbling all sorts of stuff uh, to the effect of, what the hell am I doing here? Which might have just been the moment, the heat of the moment, but could also, I think, worry Dortmund a little bit because the idea of him not being in the Champions League next season is probably hard to stomach um, for him. As well as as well as neutrals, uh, they will play Frankfurt next match day after the international break. They have a four point gap to make up. So if they don't win, it's going to be very very difficult. If they lose, it's going to be I guess all but impossible. And then they've got Manchester City. Christoph, how crucial are those next few games for Dortmund? And what would happen if they would lose out on fourth spot? Yeah, they're absolutely crucial, uh, no doubt about it. Um, and we have talked about it. In, I mean, if they wouldn't qualify um, for the Champions League again uh, next season, it it would would uh, for 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 Borussia Dortmund, it's like like for a other teams going down to the second division financial wise. I mean, it's the financial effect is so massive and it would, would uh, turn around the situation at Borussia Dortmund completely to the negative. And, um, and you were already mentioning this uh, Erling Haaland incident. I mean, we, we will see in, in summer, we will see a, a, a drop in the money that is, uh, will be paid for, for um, uh, star players. But I think he will be the exception or he will be one of the few exceptions because you can see you get a world-class player, a young, already world-class player that can be a world-class player for a top team for many years to, uh, to come. So everybody will be uh, after him and, and wants to get him and will be, will be ready to play, uh, pay crazy money. I think he, it would be almost sure that he would leave in, in summer. And that, again, uh, would be a massive blow uh, for Borussia Dortmund, uh, from a, just from a sporting uh, perspective, but also from, uh, from the image that, that the club has, because he is right now is a player that everybody is fascinated by, because he is such a joy to watch and because he is such a sensation and and he so he's he's just fantastic and um and i think borussia dortmund would do everything to keep him this summer if they would qualify for the um champions league but if not 
um, I think it would be probably almost impossible to uh, to keep him. So yeah, uh, um, so it's super crucial. It's uh, I would even say for the years to come. Big concerns from Saturday's performance. I thought. I mean, I was on uh, commentary duty with uh, Kevin McKenna, the former. Köln player and he was part of the coaching staff at Köln at one stage as well and the thing he pointed out during the commentary time and time again was the lack of leadership you couldn't hear any Dortmund players screaming at each other organizing leading he talked about the work without the ball which was very poor not enough tracking back not enough work against the ball and it didn't look like a team and you wonder with Holland taken out of that, well, they lose the game. You take him out of that equation and they lose the game. Now, there are mitigating factors here. No Sancho, no Guerrero. Guerrero, even though he's a left back, is one of the guys that really makes that team tick. So they were out. Marco Royce was out with an Achilles problem. But we've seen too many reruns of this movie. And until Dortmund can somehow find a way of eradicating those performances, they're going to find it really tough. And you look at Frankfurt, who are, by definition this season, a much more consistent side, a much more solid side, it's going to be tough for them. So that game, I agree with Christoph, is absolutely crucial, but also fascinating because you've got a Frankfurt team full of confidence, very solid, great centre forward in Andre Silva, and you've got a Dortmund team that on any given day, you have no idea how they're going to perform. Yeah, it's quite concerning. But Christoph, there was a team that you wanted to talk about a few weeks ago. And I was very surprised because you said, let's talk about Mainz, which is not something that you hear very often <laughs> anyone say really uh, in Germany, uh, let alone uh, in an English-speaking context. But um, you were right, of course, to mention Mainz because ever since Bo Svensson has taken over, a former player, uh, Andy Jürgen Klopp at Mainz, they've really improved uh, to no end. They did somehow manage to get a nil-nil draw against Schalke, only a nil-nil draw, but we shouldn't hold that against them. Apart from that, they have basically won um, almost every single game since he's there, uh, especially um, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, especially five out of the last seven. So that's pretty good going. Um why is it that they have improved that much with a team that we all thought, yeah, maybe had some quality, but looked a little bit randomly put together, um, shall we say, uh, as a squad? I think this um, uh, Bo Svensson uh, taking over is probably the sensation of the season. Because um, if, if you remember the situation uh, when he uh, where he started, they they looked lost. I mean, the 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 gap was huge, and um, and we were saying at that time, you need to if you're in a situation like this, uh, you need a run that is as good as uh, to qualify for international football in this uh, second part of the season. And we now look at the table for the second part of the season, and they are fifths. So it's exactly what he's been doing. So this is huge. So um, I, I, I think um, maybe um, uh, the, 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 the team was not well coached before Svensson took over, so that we 
the inherent quality of the players or of the group, uh, you, you couldn't see it. I mean, they, we had this discussion with Schalke. Uh, several coaches tried it and everybody beforehand had the idea, yeah, yeah, the team is better and only somebody needs to put it together. And, and obviously the team isn't better. Um, but, but in this case, um, he gave them uh, a clear idea and... Um, and um, especially increased the work rate um, of the team against the ball and the defensive cohesion massively. Um, yes, they were also a bit lucky in, in some of the games where they, when they were scoring late goals. Um, Kevin uh, Stöger made, made himself a name there. But, but when you look at the Hoffenheim match, for example, they just deserved to win it. And um, um, and and so um, obviously the um, with all the things that Christian Heidel didn't do well at Schalke, um, he seems to have a hand to find uh, coaches for Mainz 05 because um, that is um, a perfect example of a very good coach turning things dramatically round at a at a club so it's uh, it's um, if I, um, to quote uh, Pep Guardiola it's top 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 work that he's been doing there I think there's two things hand in hand here as well. I think Christoph's absolutely right about the coaching. You look at Akin Bailortso, who's now failed at Köln and he's failed at Mainz and he had completely um lost the dressing room. There'd been a total breakdown in the relationship between Bialorza and his players. Then Jan Moritz Lichter was promoted from within and Lichter clearly cared about the club, clearly wanted to do well, but just could not get that team going. And so Svensson, as you say, has come in with a really clear idea. They're much more aggressive. Um, there's much more belief there. The fundamentals are being concentrated on a lot more, I think. And then the signings they've made. Dominic Core is an absolute warrior in that midfield area. He's the kind of guy that, yes, he will walk that disciplinary tightrope, but he will get other players going. Danny Da Costa, I think, is a fabulous player and I think was underused uh, at Frankfurt. And so he uh, has arrived there with something to prove. And both of those guys came from Frankfurt with a point to prove and they've played like it. And Robert Glatzel's come in. That gives them another option in attack. He scored the opening goal against Hoffenheim. So I think it's really good recruitment a really good coach and just that overall sense of belief that has returned. And to add uh, something here, it's not only who you bring in, but also who you bring out. Um, because they were selling Mateta, their star striker, uh, at that moment, um, they sold him to, to Crystal Palace and the normal reaction was, where, where, where are you? I mean, you're, you're in, in the bottom of the table and then you uh, sell your star striker who had, I, I think, uh, at that moment scored half of the goals or so. But obviously, uh, Mateta was, was a negative force in, in, in that group because he didn't feel well, because he was frustrated uh, with having higher ambition to play at a lowly Bundesliga team and so on. And so it was a win-win uh, situation. He is playing in the, champ uh, in the Premier League right now and... Um, and and the group at um, at uh, Mainz is much better now. So also a very very clever decision made by 
um, uh, by Christian Heidel. Yeah, it's really uh, one of the positive stories of the season, as you said, Christoph. Mainz now within touching distance of safety. They're no longer on a relegation spot after that uh, fine win against Hoffenheim. But after mentioning both Frankfurt and Wolfsburg who keep going strong um, and holding on to that places in the top four, uh, Leipzig winning narrowly against um, Bielefeld on Friday night. I think we have to, um, unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, talk a little bit about Bayern before we go, because the Bundesliga seemed to be coming up with all um, sorts of new obstacles for Bayern to throw in their way. Uh, they were 2-0 down against Dortmund within nine minutes. They came back to win 4-2. Uh, VAR uh, rightly um, felt that Alfonso Davis should be sent off for a rash challenge after only 12 minutes against Stuttgart, but a 10-man Bayern beat them. It didn't just beat them, but thumped them 4-0 and you're wondering who's going to stop what's going to stop this Bayern team Christoph the main take I saw in, in the newspapers was oh, oh you know it's springtime Bayern are back um, watch out is this sort of the main takeaway that Bayern after that bit of a slump that we talked about have now found their sense of rhythm and they can even play with, with 10 men against a very decent side like Stuttgart and just be Way too strong. I mean, we have we have been talking about this cat and mouse uh, story um, some weeks ago, with with they always being one nil or t even two nil down. I think this weekend showed a, another version. Hey, let's try it with ten men. And I don't know if if ever <laughs> in the history of the Bundesliga a team uh, with one uh, one player down has been scoring four goals. Is that, has that happened before? I, I don't think so. It sounds it sounds implausible. <laughs> yeah, and um, but it's it shows uh, how fantastic uh, this team is, and uh, I think they have been in general fantastic all time. I mean, they had had some problems, but I think there were uh, you, you could you could explain them, and um, and yes, um, I, I think the main takeaway um, uh, that you were saying is uh, now now it's crunch time, <laughs> and we will crunch the rest then. <laughs> Crush them. Rather. Crush them. Well, I have found uh, an example in the not-too-distant past uh, of a team uh, responding well to going a man down uh, and uh, having a bit of a goal salvo in the second half. Mainz, uh, in their uh, game at Hoffenheim last season, uh, they uh, were at 1-0 up. Uh, they had Reid Labaku sent off on the stroke of half time and they scored four goals in the second half and ended up beating Hoffenheim by five goals to one. Well, there you have it. I think it was a champion's performance. And what was interesting about it was Pellegrino Matarazzo's take on his Stuttgart side, because once the red card happened, he felt that one or two things happened. Either they felt like they were under huge pressure to then go and win the game, or they just assumed that they would win the game because Bayern had been reduced to 10 men. Neither of those things uh, <laughs> transpired. And... There was another point that Bayern are so used to having playing their way round opponents, and they did that brilliantly 
Gnabry uh, was excellent on the day. Muller, fantastic. Lewandowski, Lewandowski, as usual, um, took his chances brilliantly. And I think there was something absurd. Like they were 4-0 up at half-time and only had an expected goals figure of just above one. So it just shows you how supremely clinical they were in front of goal and it felt like a real statement victory against a very very good Stuttgart team who had a big chance to score actually with Sasha Kalajic who's been in such good form maybe if he scores it's a different game but Bayern were unbelievable I can tell a nice a little story with this uh, problem of we being one um, one player up um, against uh, a big team uh, last season, when I was following uh, Union Berlin from inside, um, they had some issues with what they called extraordinary situations. So a player is sent off or you score a known goal or something like that. And um, and they had an extra session about it to, to, to talk about it, because if you have an a team that has not much experience in in the Bundesliga or that is not as stable as a top team like Bayern, for example, you're struggling with this kind of situation. And interestingly, you could see the same with um, Union Berlin um, at Frankfurt, where they um, from their offensive performance was fantastic, but they scored this uh, spectacular own goal uh, by Robert Andrich. Um, uh, I, I think we have seen it uh, 200 times now on, on, on German television because <laughs> it was so funny. And they, they conceded two more goals uh, in the next six minutes because they lost their head. And and the same happened to uh, to Stuttgart. So if you have a young team, if you have an inexperienced team, and then something crazy uh, happens, like oh, uh, we have one player up at at Munich, and oh, oh what can we do? A, a solid or experienced team can take a lot of advantage f- uh, from it. And um, and again, it's it's a proof of the enormous quality of the Bayern team. And it helps if you've got an on-pitch leader like Thomas Müller, who's constantly organising the team, looking for spots where uh, they can uh, exploit uh, mismatches. But Hansi Flick said afterwards, even he had to rein Müller in because he wanted to attack all the time, uh, even with 10 men. So he had to calm Müller down, which might be uh, the toughest job in the Bundesliga. Yeah, Müller and, uh, and of course, another man on a mission uh, in Robert Lewandowski, who wants to break the unbreakable record of... Uh, Gerd Müller from 71-72, 40 goals. He's now only five goals away after being on the score sheet uh, yet again uh, a couple of times against Stuttgart. Um, Christoph, did you ever think that this record might tumble and will it tumble this season? No, I I, I thought it would it would stand there for eternity because uh, if, if you looked at the, the numbers, um, top goal scorers were, were scoring, uh, at least in the Bundesliga, nobody uh, seriously came close over the last 50 years. So, um, uh, so it's such an unbelievable uh, achievement and and I, I think this record will fall I'm, I mean um, uh, because um, Robert Lewandowski I, I don't like to say it but he, he is he is like a machine he is he is not like a human anymore because um, 
Um, he's always concentrated. He's always he always looks super fit. He always looks looks completely determined, and uh, it's so fascinating uh, to see. And um, and you don't even have the feeling that his teammates are like, oh, oh where's Robert? He needs to score another goal. Uh, we, we have to give him the ball. He he just get it, uh, gets it, and um, and and does what he has been doing for many years in a. Bundesliga now on a extra super duper high end level. Um, yeah, very fascinating. And let's not forget, it's a 34 game season, so that makes it even more remarkable because there are you know fewer games than say there are in La Liga or the Premier League. So to if he does top 40 goals in a 34 game season, it's truly extraordinary. One of the great achievements, not just in German football, but in football in Maybe general. Maybe he's even yeah. getting the Dixie Dean record. <laughs> what is it, 63 goals in, uh, in the first division? I, uh... You wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> Yeah, well, you have to hurry up to, uh, to get there. Um, of course, the big game happening when we come back after the international break is indeed Leipzig taking on Bayern. There might have been some fans. There was talk of maybe 999 fans uh, going in, but um, it turned out to be unachievable or unfeasible, I should say, because Within uh, a couple of hours ago, I think the Leipzig mayor has said it's it's, it's not going to happen uh, with uh, case rates going up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, no fans in the Red Bull Arena, but still a chance for Leipzig to make up the gap and reduce it to one point. And I was having this discussion or this talk yesterday with with Kevin Christoph. Um, I think there is a assumption which might not necessarily be true that the best team tend to win the league. Could it poss- could it be possible that Leipzig, who are clearly not the best team in the league, nevertheless somehow find themselves winning the Bundesliga? I don't think so. I mean, yes, there is a a chance, but. Uh- to me, it's more a theoretical chance um, than than I, I I would see it um, practically happen happening. No. Okay. I think the game itself is a massive moment for Leipzig either way because in these big games, and you look at the reverse fixture that ended three three. I think they they drew nil nil at the Allianz Arena the season before, so they're drawing with Bayern, but they haven't got that statement win over them and so even if they were to beat Bayern but then go on to lose the title race I still think as a club and as a group that would be a really important moment for them to have actually got that big win against a Bayern because in the games against the elite teams they've ended up losing at home to Dortmund and they were blown away a bit in the second half of that game at home to Dortmund They've drawn a lot of these big games, but they haven't won them. And so I, I still feel that's one of the things that's really missing for them psychologically in their journey as they continue to grow. And it should be it should be very, very interesting either way, because there's also, of course, the subtext of Nagelsmann and Flick and what might happen with Hansi Flick leaving or staying. And people, I think, even within Bayern, trying to figure out how the end of the Bayern season might affect Hansi Flick's mind when it comes to leaving. I think there's a chance that if he wins everything, with the exception of the DFB Pokal, he might feel, you know what, why why stick around? At the same time, there's a chance that if he gets knocked out in the uh, quarterfinal by PSG, Bayern was saying, oh, no longer good enough by Hansi. 
Um, so all sorts of uh, things hinge on the next couple of weeks uh, for Bayern as well. So it should be, should be really, really interesting. I'm really looking forward to that game. Um, and in the meantime, uh, let's see what uh, Germany will do. Under lame Löw. No, he's not lame. He's he's <laughs> newly liberated Löw, who can do whatever he wants because he's he's off. He's riding into the sunset. So that should be should be really interesting. I think the national team games, even though they're not very attractive on paper, will actually be watched quite intensively. If that's the right way of putting it. Yeah, there'll be lots of focus on those games, and maybe maybe. Uh, let's see what producer David will say, but maybe we'll come back with a special uh, talking about the Nationalmannschaft in a few days' time. Until we're back, um, I hope that you stay well. My thanks to you, Kevin and Christoph. My thanks to you, dear listener. And catch up with us when the next Starcast is out. Bye-bye. The Athletic.